The podcast you're listening to has been recorded in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. So very often it's been recorded on mobile phone and from people's homes. So we apologise for the odd dog barking or the lawnmower starting up in the background. The sound quality may not be perfect, but hopefully you can still hear the passion of our guests for making a difference to patients, their families and their communities. Welcome to the third episode of Elevating into the Future. I'm your host, Tim O'Mara, and I'm GE Healthcare's Research Leader for Australia and New Zealand. We'd like to introduce this series that you can listen to anywhere you get your podcasts. GE Healthcare has some amazing collaborations and we want to share these with you. We have around 75 active research projects. We're partners in 17 grants and all up we're involved in around $100 million worth of local research. I have one of those great jobs in medical research where I've been given the keys to GE Healthcare's global resources, technology and expertise and the permission to drive it in Australia and New Zealand with truly remarkable people who are passionate about making a difference to patients, their communities and our healthcare system. Today, I'm joined by two of those remarkable people from Christchurch in New Zealand, Professor Phil Butler and Professor Anthony Butler, who are the founders, the CEO and CSO of Mars Bioimaging. Thank you and welcome to both of you. Now, I might start uh, by asking a little bit about yourselves and and how Mars Bioimaging came about. Anthony, would you like to start and then Phil? Uh, background on myself, I'm a clinical radiologist at Canterbury District Health Board. I'm also head of the radiology department at the local medical school, uh, University of Otago, and I'm a physicist at the University of Canterbury, as well as being the vice president for medical within Mars Bioimaging. The Mars program and the company uh, evolved or arose, I guess, in about 2005-2006, when my father, Phil, who you'll hear from in a minute, was working at CERN on new X-ray detectors or, or particle detectors more generally, and indicated to me that I should visit them and see some of the new detectors that were coming out of there. Um, so I did that and uh, agreed with him that there was a huge potential for their use in medicine. So shortly after we both returned to New Zealand, we started forming a research team and get, got provisional results to get our first government grant and grew the team to sort of five or six people. Since then, we've been able to grow it to the current point. We were just in the process of submitting our first application to the FDA for a clinical scanner and have a very successful business selling lab scanners uh, to research groups. So we now have a team of over 60 people, ranging from uh, commercial software engineers and hardware engineers through to university researchers through to PhD students. Thank you, Anthony. And and Phil, uh, a little about yourself. Yes, I'm a physicist past that age now that um, many people retire, but I still very much enjoy solving problems. But one of the character things that's characterised my research career, I think, is making a real effort to take my research to re- public use. I really um, enjoy that aspect of my work, 
And this has been a great opportunity. The, the opportunity arose really because CERN, the High Energy Physics um, Research Centre in Geneva, chasing the Higgs boson and other sub-nuclear particles, developed a new detector for ionising radiation. And it was clear to them, the people developing this in the 1990s, that this would revolutionise or had the possibility of revolutionising medicine. They called it Medipix for that reason. And I saw that we actually had some of the skills to do that. It did help having a radiologist as a son um, who has a lot of background in physics. But also, we managed to put together a team here of, of surgeons and obviously physicists and engineers who are able to see the opportunities long-term for new technology and medicine. Mm-hmm. All right. thank, thank you. And a, a little bit about what's the connection with GE here? How did GE fit in? Well, I first met some of the GE engineers from Global Research about 10 years ago, we sat on some of the same scientific committees. And one of the things that really struck me about the GE research team is they're very much the same mindset of us, very much focused on solving problems and how do you get them out to the community. So over the next few years, both Dad and I visited the uh, Schenectady Research Group and uh, the group in Israel who'd done a lot of CT research. And we had some really nice back and forth but as the projects evolved and we've become more commercial, we've uh, the partners or the groups we've dealt with in GE have slowly sort of evolved from global research through to the, the healthcare division and the product managers and other groups. So there's been both scientific support and then quite a lot of networking support. I've had a lot of introductions from the GE team to their key researchers around the world and a lot of emotional support really and the desire to get, to get the technology into the market and get it to people so that we can start improving people's lives. Yes, I think that's been a very useful aspect of our personal links with various GE people. Uh, there's a real determination to actually take a product into a market where it makes a difference to to, to people's health, and that's been a been very helpful and when we've gone through some of the struggles as one always does with a new technology. Thank you, Phil. Now, let's get into a little bit more detail about the technology. So tell us a little bit about your technology and and the importance of partnerships to develop this technology and perhaps the third element of that question, what Mars hopes to achieve. Yes, um, the technology that we're interested in is X-rays. So it's now 125 years since people first used X-rays to see inside a living human. But most of the X-ray imaging has been done in black and white, if you like. They've not used the energy information in X-rays. And the Mars program is all about using that energy information. And that enables us to see what kinds of atoms in there, not just how many of them, but what kinds. So we can distinguish calcium from iodine, which you can't normally do, and iodine is a very common uh, contrast agent in medical imaging. We can distinguish much better the difference between uh, fat and water, but there are so many other things that we can see better because we're using that energy information. And there seem to be no other 
detectors out there that enable us to do that. So, you know, with the help of CERN, with the help of the, the biggest detector development uh, organization in the world, we've got some technology uh, that really is world leading and is ready for the market. It's ready to go into the clinic now. It's uh, it's it's truly remarkable, Anthony. Anything anything to add to to Phil's explanation there? Yeah, I would take it the the next step from what you can see to how that will actually affect diagnosis and, and patient management. Patients generally are really excited when they see their own images of a CT or an MR scan or an ultrasound machine, but with a, a bit of physics background, you know that they're only seeing part of the story. So a lot of information is lost in a traditional X-ray system. And so being able to measure the, the energy of photons allows us to improve the sensitivity and specificity of a lot of tests. So when someone breaks their arm, um, it'd be really nice to have much higher resolution to be able to see the, the bone structure. It'll be also really good to have high-quality energy information so you can start to see things like the new bone being laid down the calcium being deposited, um, and potentially things like what, what's called uh, bone edema, so the inflammation and, and changes that happen in the fracture. But that applies to other things. So if you've got a um, heart arteries or atherosclerosis, it's very hard on a traditional CT or an MR scanner to actually characterise that disease. You can see the narrowing of the artery, but you need more information about what's actually going on in the artery wall. So one of the more delightful studies we've done in the last couple of years is to show that we can see the fat deposits in the wall and to see that we can see the microhemorrhages, the small bleeds that go on and, and cause a stroke or a heart attack. Another area that I actually find incredibly exciting is what we call molecular imaging. So that's when you take a pharmaceutical designed to be seen on one of our devices and label cell lines or pathophysiological processes in the body. So for example, we've worked recently with the University of Illinois in Maryland looking at traces that highlight where microfactors are in bone. And our local research group has been looking at labelling cell lines such as HERS2 positive cell receptors that you get in some types of breast cancer. So instead of imaging just being an anatomical or a shape-based tool, it actually is starting to tell you about the physiological and the chemical processes going on in the body. So all of that combined mean not just better images, but better healthcare, more personalised healthcare. That's that's fantastic, Anthony. Thank you. And can you tell us a little bit about how the collaboration with GE works? So the collaboration with GE um, works at two levels, a kind of administrative level and a um, personal level. At a personal level, I think uh, the GE people tend to be very forward-looking and very focused on, on useful technologies, and I find that very, very refreshing. So... We routinely talk to the groups, as I say, in, in New York and Milwaukee and Israel about how things are progressing. At an administrative level, GE is very seamless to work with. I've worked with a lot of research organisations and universities, and GE seems to be pretty straightforward in terms of just getting things done. That's that's tremendous feedback. Thank you. Now, Anthony, you've touched on this a little bit already, but I just want to explore that a little bit further. So one of the phrases that that people who talk about molecular imaging refer to as it's going from actually lumpology to biology. 
So, so do you want to tell us just a little bit more about what makes photon counting CT so exciting and how that'll make a difference to patients? And just spend a little bit more time exploring that because I agree with you. I, I think this is absolutely revolutionary technology and shows great promise for many, many patients. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about how you would see this being used and, and why it's such such groundbreaking technology. Okay, so molecular imaging is a category of imaging most people tend to think of, PET, PET MRI, PET CT, but also a few other things like spec and bone scans. So it's all about trying to measure the biochemical and physiological processes in the body. But unfortunately, all of the current techniques tend to involve putting radioisotopes into the person. So that requires making the person slightly radioactive for a short amount of time. They need to bring in the isotopes from cyclotrons. It's very practically very difficult. They're also very low-resolution tests, and that you tend to only be able to measure one thing at once, and it's often very non-specific. So for PET imaging, it's mostly just glucose metabolism. With photon counting, you're able to measure multiple agents at once. So we've demonstrated that we can measure up to three agents in a mice at one time. So instead of measuring one physiological process, you can measure three. They also have a wider variety of targeting agents that you can use. So uh, we've worked with groups targeting um, inflammatory cells. We've worked with groups targeting cancer cells, processes in the bone. There's a whole range of them, processes within atheroma. So all of those different biomedical processes can be labelled. So you could imagine a patient coming in getting a couple of injections um, of different traces related to the disease they've got and then having a scan done and then able to go home straight away. So it's a, a much easier process for the patient um, and it's much more information for the doctors. At the moment, a PET scan is very difficult to have at 2 o'clock in the morning. If you, if you have a heart attack and you go into the emergency department, the practicalities of working with ionising radiation mean that they can't really contemplate doing a molecular imaging study, whereas if the the physicians in the emergency department can take a pharmaceutical out of the fridge, inject it and do a study straight away, then you've made that technology much more accessible to the doctors and the patients and therefore it's going to have more impact on their healthcare. If I can put a bit of a physics spin on that, one of the things that our detectors, photon counting detectors do, is that they are very much more effective if you've got small pixels. You automatically want to use high spatial resolution. That allows you per square millimetre to have much higher counting rates than if you have bigger pixels. And the other thing we're doing is we're measuring the energy of each photon. Currently, we use five bins, energy bins, which is a great deal more than dual energy. Uh, And these two things give us much higher energy resolution and much higher spatial resolution. And that corresponds to much more detailed information about the disease. Our our images of plaque, we look at things, excised plaques, we look at things at the 50 to 100 micron sized grains of calcium, or we can see nanoparticles that are much smaller, uh, lower concentrations than you would be able to see if we had bigger pixels. We've got much better information. 
with this so-called photon counting or photon processing technology. Mm-hmm. That's th- thank you, Phil. It, uh, it was a great, I guess, uh, more of a, a physics summary of, of, of what Anthony was saying in terms of benefits to the patient. So thank you for rounding that out. So how can GE help you deliver what you're hoping to do with this technology? Well, I think one of the things GE has is a worldwide network of clinicians and researchers. And uh, as a person in Australasia, it can actually be sometimes hard to make all those connections and can be very time-consuming. So GE has been excellent in facilitating that. And also GE has done a really nice job helping us to have a vision for the future. We've got our own vision, of course, because you have to, but it's been really nice interacting with some of the leaders at GE about where they see the market and and technology and healthcare going. I would add to that that We've done the work to demonstrate that these new detectors are very useful in the clinic. The next stage is actually to get it into the clinic, widespread use, so that of the 300 million uh, CT scans a year and the countless MR scans and, and and ultrasound scans, we can actually improve the clinical relevance of their imaging by having a better imaging device. And GE has the grunt and the expertise to do that. Thank you. Now, before we close, I wonder if there's any there's any groups out there who've helped support you along the way. You know, they, they may, may be research groups. You've mentioned CERN, for example, or, or some, of, some of the local funders that, that you'd like to mention. Uh, the local... Landscape has been incredibly helpful. So we work with the University of Canterbury and the University of Otago, and they've been brilliantly supportive through the whole process, as has people like the Tertiary Education Commission and the Ministry of Business here in New Zealand. All of those organisations recognise that some bits of science really need to be translated into the community to have benefit for people. And so that's been a nice journey to have that supportive of those organisations saying, look, we've got to get it out of the research labs, we've got to get into the clinic, we've got to start helping people with this technology. And I would add to that, we've had tremendous support from the surgeons, from fellow radiologists, from the physicists, the engineers. Lots of people have said, this is an exciting project. I want to help you take it to the mm. patient. It's, um, look, th- thank you both. I, I, I've yeah, as you know, I find this truly remarkable technology. I think it's more sensitive in terms of spatial resolution, so you can see more detail. It's a lot more specific. You can actually characterise a disease rather than just define it as an abnormal lump. And it's more accessible. It's technology that's av- that can be available in every radiology department, in every hospital, 24 hours a day, which, which I think is truly remarkable. So thank you both. You know, I, I actually, I, I often think maybe an innovator in today is a, is a bit like an explorer of yesteryear. There are enormous challenges and you don't know that you've made it until you get, you get to the summit. But I can see what's happening with Mars is, is really, really exciting and, and you're getting really close to that summit. You're getting really close to that first clinical product which is wonderful. 
Now, if people are interested to learn a little bit more about Mars bioimaging, then feel free to go to their website. That's Mars, M-A-R-S, bioimaging, one word. Or you can certainly follow them on Facebook, again, looking for Mars bioimaging. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Phil. We look forward to following this project in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tim. Bye now.